Good morning. We continue our study in 1 Corinthians this morning with chapter 3. Uh, thank you to Brendan for taking care of chapter 2 for us. Excellent job, uh, particularly explaining the activity and the uh, importance of the Spirit, uh, both in the Corinthian church and the problems that they were having there, and, uh, of course, in our own time as well. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us as we will see, uh, to be able to keep in step with the Spirit. He requires us to be in step with Him, and He enables us to be in step with Him. So we'll look more at that in just a few minutes. Uh, We'll look at the Scripture reading, and then a summary. I hope you had time to write a three- or four-sentence summary of our passage, just to get your mind thinking uh, about exactly what God is telling us in this passage. That's always an important thing to do as you study any part of Scripture. You'll remember that Paul is dealing here with division and factions that have occurred in the Corinthian church. Paul founded the Corinthian church probably somewhere between 48 and 51 A.D., He's writing now from Ephesus, and it's probably somewhere around 55 A.D. So the church in Corinth is now about five years old, probably. And now he's, he's received the report that there are problems there. There are these divisions. And now he's beginning to address them very seriously. You'll remember that chapter 1 gives us the foundation for what Paul is going to address. He does so in a remarkable way. Uh, it's, it's a way that we ought to take a note of ourselves. He mentions the problems, but he does so by thanking God that he has given the Corinthians those gifts. So the very gifts that the Corinthians are misusing which is causing Paul so much consternation, are, are addressed by Paul, first of all, by thanking God for giving them these gifts. And now he's going to come back after he set the stage and address the problems that they have. He acknowledges that they have the Spirit of God. Uh, for example, if we look in uh, chapter 1, you'll remember Paul talks about, uh, or excuse me, this is chapter 2, uh, he imparts a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The gospel is a mystery. And then in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And as Brendan pointed out last week, uh, if you're transmitting uh, radio waves, you have to have a transmitter and a receiver to make any sense of it. And the Spirit interprets to us the things of God so we can understand them, the things of God that are known only by revelation. He talks about in verse 13 that we impart these words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we're going to pick up in just a moment with chapter 3 
at this idea of the importance of the Spirit in being the solution to these divisions and factions that are occurring in the church at Corinth. So let's read the scripture. This is verses 1 through 9. But brothers, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for, for the opportunity that you have given us to study this uh, wonderful book uh, this year. We thank you for this passage that we have just read and the things that it teaches us about uh, the role of, uh, of the spirit and the flesh in the church and, and how to address the problems of the Corinthians in these uh, personality cults that seem to have been developing there. Father, I pray that you'd help me to teach this and to point out those things that are so relevant to us today. I pray that you would open our understanding, that you would be our guide, and you would be our true teacher and, and help us to know those things, to come away with, with an idea of, of uh, what your word is telling us and to come away with an idea of what we ought to do in our own lives to fix those problems that may be, may be there and to live a life that is glorifying to you. We thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, summary. Who would like to give a summary? Three or four sentences at most. Yes. Until you're ready to teach, you should learn. When you are ready to teach, you must remember it is God who gives the increase. Okay, great. That picks up the point that, that the activity that needs to be accomplished in Corinth and in the church today is God's doing. The ministers are just laborers, aren't they? They have been given a task by God. And in the case of uh, the Corinthians, uh, he mentioned specifically Apollos and himself, Paul, and their ministry there, it was an equal ministry. Now, the, the Corinthians were uh, apparently organizing themselves into personality cults, so to speak. Uh, they were saying, well, well, Paul was the founder of the church, and I, I, I align with Paul. So our group's better than your group. And they say, no, 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 Paul's such a bad speaker, and Apollos is such a wonderful speaker. We align with Apollos. 
And, and so that makes our group better than your group. And Paul is addressing those problems here. And that picks up on that, on the fact that it's not Paul and Apollos. It's God who is accomplishing his work in Corinth and today as well. Anybody else want to share their summary of this passage? What are the main points? Yes. Um, the Corinthians are still babes in Christ, being carnal, not spiritual. Where there's envy, strife, and divisions among them, they are acting as mere men, not spiritual in nature. Paul and Apollos are ministers of the gospel on plants, on waters, but God gives the increase. So it is with you, one plants, another waters, and will receive his reward according to his labor as God's fellow workers, his field, his footing. Wonderful. Uh, that's a great summary. That picks up both uh, uh, the contrast there between the life of the spirit and the life of the flesh, the carnality, and, uh, and also the, uh, the fact that God is the one who is the doer here not the ministers, and not even the Corinthians themselves either. Yes, Brenda. Let me throw out my, my plain language translation. Stop acting like children and picking favorites. We're all on the same team. Wonderful. I like that. Uh, that's succinct and, uh, and captures the idea. I wish I could be succinct like that. But not my gift. Anybody else want to share their summary with us? Okay. So I see part chapter one and three kind of together, part uh-huh. A, part B. Right. So I'm going to do part A and part B together. Okay. So part chapter one, the baptized family was eloquent for man's word to buy Dale's cross. And then this chapter, where the vision lies, the natural man there will die. God's true image dies. Okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, very poetic uh, capturing of the essence of that passage and, and the fact that it is a continuation from, from the, uh, the, uh, the agenda, sort of, that Paul lays out in chapter 1. And chapter 2 develops that further, and now chapter 3 continues that, at least as far as uh, verse 9, is uh, down through verse 9 that we'll look at today. Okay, let me uh, just show you what I have uh, put down here. Paul indicates that at first the Corinthians were unspiritual and infants in Christ and not ready for deep teaching. And they still are not, since there is strife and division among them, purely human behavior. While they who ministered to the Corinthians were merely servants working with God to do the job he assigned to them, and therefore of equal status as laborers, it was God who actually accomplished his purpose of building the church in Corinth. Okay, so a number of ideas that we'll look at and explore as we look at the uh, discussion questions, three of them. I hope you had an opportunity to look at these and to look up the verses. I gave you a long list of verses, but it 
uh, pays great dividends if you took time to look those up and, and find the character of Paul's ministry. But let's look at this first one. Here's, a, here's an easy one, I think. First uh, Corinthians 3.1 begins with a strong contrasting statement, or, or maybe it would be better to say an emphasis, uh, which the ESV translates as but. Uh, the English translation of the ESV begins with the word but. Why? Yes. He's comparing what you would expect them to be by now with what they are. Okay, very good. Yeah, he, he's comparing what he's just said with what he's about to say now. And that main subject is what? The spirit, the role of, a, of what it means to be a spiritual person. You remember that the Corinthians considered themselves to be spiritual, and they were far from it. Uh, what they considered to be spiritual was based upon those unique circumstances that we looked at the first couple of, of lessons. Remember, they were in a unique position geographically, and that unique geographical position led to a unique economic situation. They were prosperous because of where they sat geographically on that isthmus. So anybody traveling had to go through there, whether by sea or whether by land. And then that, that uh, economic unique situation led to a cultural situation that was unique as people flooded Corinth to take advantage of that geographical and economic unique situation. It was based upon that that they thought of themselves more highly than they ought. Uh, we're better than any place else because we're prosperous. And they equated their unique situation with being spiritual. And remember, we talked earlier about the fact they consider themselves to be so spiritual that they, they were discounting eschatology, that is the end times, that Christ is going to come back again. And that's what they're aiming for. They should be working to become more and more Christ-like. Uh, that's what spiritual people do. But they were so much assured of, by themselves that they were spiritual people that they discounted eschatology uh, and, and lived right in the moment. They didn't need anything else was the way they were approaching uh, their spirituality. So Paul begins here with that contrast. The last statement in verse in chapter two is, "But we have the mind of Christ." The subject is having the, being taught by the Spirit these mysteries of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. They were no doubt Christians, according to Paul's language that's used throughout here. They had the Spirit indwelling them but they were not using the presence of the Spirit. And Paul begins that third chapter with the word, but. You have the Spirit of God, but, and now he goes on in chapter 3 to give us the contrast of that. Discussion question number two. How do our text and the background passages supplied in email characterize Paul's ministry including his relationship to God and to the people to whom he ministered. 
and give some examples. What are those verses that you found that, that tell us those things? Now, we're not going to read all those verses. We don't have time, but I want to put them up here on the screen, and that means there will be a part of the video record of this class. So anytime you want to go back and look them up, it's online on our church website at sbcgreenville.org. And look up Fellowship Sunday School class, and there's a link there to all the videos and audio recordings of this class. If you're watching uh, and you don't come to this class, but you're watching the video, you can run the video up to this point, pause it, look up these verses, and then uh, give your own answer to discussion question number two. So who wants to answer discussion question number two? What was it, according to these verses and to our text today, that characterized Paul's ministry? Well, he was patient. Patient, yes. <clears throat> because he had to reteach them everything. Okay. Well, he recognizes that he himself is still a sinner, still fighting. Um, and the first text in Romans right. is, I am carnal. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of takes one to know one kind of a thing. Right. And so it's easy that for him to recognize this. And when he said that, they can't say when you're leveling the church against us that you think you're holier than we are. No, he's admitted. I fight with this too. I, I have to deal with this. Also. Right. Okay, good. Uh, Paul's ministry uh, was one of humility, wasn't it? And he recognized his own uh, fleshliness, as we all should. Yes. Okay. Okay. That was certainly a characteristic of his ministry. He went to the Jews when he went to a new city. He almost invariably was thrown out. Uh, and, and so his, his true ministry was toward the Gentiles. And he knew that, but because of the unique situation of Israel in God's uh, uh, salvation history, he went to the Jew first, and then when they rejected, he went to the Gentiles. And that's where he had uh, the bulk of his ministry among the Gentiles. Okay, good. Anybody else from these verses that you've looked at? Well, let me just uh, quickly give you some things that I found in going through these. Uh, this is very important in Ephesians 3, 7. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So this, uh, the, the, the thing that characterized his ministry, one of the most important things was that he was a minister according to the gift of God's grace, and that was given to him by the working of God's power. Uh, it was not his doing. It was God's doing. God had given him this task. And we're going to see as we, as we work down, Father gave that task also to the other ministers, including Apollos. Okay? Um, Colossians 1 says much the same thing, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. 
to make the word of God fully known. That captures both his relationship to God. God had given him a stewardship, which he was fulfilling, but that stewardship was for the benefit of you, uh, the people of God. And so his relationship to uh, those to whom he ministered is also captured there, I think. Um, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. His relationship to those to to whom he ministered, to those to whom he first brought the gospel, and God quickened their hearts to accept and believe the gospel, he considered himself to be their spiritual father and them to be his spiritual children. Okay? Um, Acts 18. Uh, I hope you had a chance to read that longer passage in Acts 18 uh, that that gives the history of Paul's ministry in Corinth. Uh, That's very important for understanding the background here. And then a little bit further on in 18, he tells us, that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. His relationship to God was one of enablement by God, and God specifically told him to speak and do not be afraid. Uh, I am your God, and I am with you. And we can find many other instances uh, of of the character of Paul's ministry, his utter dependence upon God because God is the one who called him and established them in this office of apostle and was enabling him to fulfill the work um, and and to have that, that special relationship with God's people. Okay, let's look at uh, question number three. What does it mean to still, to be still of the flesh in verse three? And then I gave you several verses that you might want to, I hope you've looked up there. What does that mean to be still of the flesh? Uh, Considering those verses in Galatians, Corinthians, in, in this very book later on, and then in Romans. Yes. Whatever it may mean, I think at the very least we need to rule out the, the misreading that's very common here that, that, it, that, that Paul is somehow saying that these people aren't believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, from verse 1, but I, brothers, he's addressing them as brothers. And so whatever it means to be in the flesh, still in the, uh, of the flesh, it does not mean that they are not in Christ. Very good. That's important. Paul addresses them throughout as having the spirit. We have the mind of Christ, he says. He includes them in that. So they are believers, but they, and, and as we'll see in a moment, that uh, the, the first uh, couple of sentences there in chapter three address the fact that they used to be uh, not able to handle the things of God Well, that would be expected, wouldn't it? If you're new in Christ, if you're from a pagan background, you don't know anything. And so you have to learn and you you have to have the guidance of the Spirit 
and in developing uh, and growing to be more and more like Christ. So they were, he says, still of the flesh at the time that he first came there. But they still are, he says. They still are of the flesh. It's at least five years later now. And they're, they're still in that same condition. They're believers, but they have a problem with the development of their Christian life because of those special circumstances that they exist in, that they, were, uh, that they thought themselves superior to those believers elsewhere. Uh, let me just bring up Galatians 5, and I included 21 in this. Uh, we're given the works of the flesh here. Sexual immorality, we know that was a problem with them. We'll find out later. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Those last few things there were certainly a problem in Corinth. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you that as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we're not saying here that all of these things characterize the Corinthians, but a large number of them certainly do. Uh, it's sort of like in our, in our liturgy, in our worship service, we look at uh, a different of the Ten Commandments every week, and we see how we have broken that commandment. The, uh, the Ten Commandments are categories of, of sin and of error. And, and there's always a statement there, who among us can say that we have not violated this commandment? Uh, surely there are none. Well, these are categorical statements here. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list of sins, but it's categories of sin. In fact, he says that in verse 21, envy, drunkenness, or, and things like these. It's things like these that characterize the flesh. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that word do is an important word to understand. It's in the present tense. And the verbal aspect here is one of continuation. They were continuing, or, or let me say, if anyone continues in the works of the flesh without repentance and never, never asking God for forgiveness, to in a rebellious way be characterized by the works of the flesh, we're told here plainly they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are not believers. Now, I don't think that was the position of the Corinthians. Uh, the, the believer, as soon as he becomes aware of his uh, being characterized by any of these things, will repent and see God's forgiveness. And, and, and repent of his sins and, and ask God to help him not to ever do that sin again. So there is repentance on the part of a genuine believer. Uh, we know from uh, later on Paul's writings, especially in 2 Corinthians, that apparently they heeded him, uh, his warnings here. And as soon as they became aware that they were fleshly, they did eventually repent of those things and... Uh, as, as any believer who becomes of the, aware of those things will indeed do. Now, contrasting with that 
is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Look down at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And, And that's the problem that the Corinthians were having. Sounds familiar for today's church as well, doesn't it? Those who claim to have the Spirit, but who are obviously not keeping in step with the Spirit. Uh, Let us not become conceited, as the Corinthians were, provoking one another and envying one another. Okay, let's look at the outline here, and we'll work our way down through the Uh, through the scripture. Two points. First of all, the state of the Corinthians in verses 1 through 4, they were fleshy. We'll talk about that. And they are now fleshly, Paul says. And then the second point, the status of the ministers. God, we're told, is everything. And they, the ministers, are but laborers. So let's look. Uh, The state of the Corinthians, they were first fleshy. Now, I am fleshy. That that flesh there, the connective tissue underneath it, the muscle, lots of muscle there underneath it, (laughs) underneath that that skin. Uh, So I am fleshy. I am also fleshly. I'm fleshy in that I am human and and I be- behave as humans do, but also have the Spirit of God. And, and so therefore, as we all do, who have placed our trust in Christ. And so we have the Spirit who helps us to do what he tells us to do, to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit enables us to do that. So we stay in step with the Spirit in order to be spiritual people. The Corinthians had had at least five years probably to grow in Christ, and they hadn't done that. Uh, They were not spiritual people, he tells them, even though that was one of the things that they really uh, held up. One of the things that they were conceited about the most was they considered themselves to be spiritual. He says, you're not spiritual people. You are Uh, You are infants in Christ to begin with. And the problem is you are still fleshly. He uses two different words there. Just tiny little bit difference in in the ending of those words. Fleshy and fleshly. They could be forgiven for being fleshy. Uh, They were normal human beings and at first they didn't know anything. And, uh, and they were converted upon hearing the, uh, the preaching of the word, which is the normal way that people are, are effectually um, called and saved by God. But they hadn't grown, and so they were still not spiritual people. They were infants in Christ. But now here at this later time, they are fleshly in that there is jealousy and strife. There are personalities and factions as we read in verses 3 and 4. And so now the characteristic is fleshly. They are characterized by 
flesh. Okay? And then uh, secondly, the status of the ministers in verses 5 through 9. We're told that God is everything. He asked the question, the rhetorical question in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So in verses uh, 5 and 6 there, we see that Paul says we are but laborers. We are servants. We have been given a task by God to do. And that's what we're doing. Uh, we're fulfilling the ministry that, that God has given us to do. Now that applies not only to ministers, that applies to Christians as well. Because God gives all of us gifts that are fitting for the building of the church. Uh, he compares elsewhere the church to the body. Uh, the body has different parts. And the hand can't say to the foot, I'm better than you. And the foot can't say to the hand, but you wouldn't be able to go anywhere if it wasn't for me. Uh, there can't be those kinds of fallacy, uh, of uh, factions and uh, jealousy and strife in the among the people of God. We all have tasks and gifts that were given to us by God. We are enabled by God to do those things that builds the church up into the body of Christ that is fully functional as God intends for it to be. Now that's the role that the ministers of God, in this case Paul and Apollos, performed. They were nothing. God is everything. They are but laborers, he says. In verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. They had different tasks, but equal laborers, according to verse 8. There was no reason why one of them should be lifted up by the Corinthians above the other. Now, somehow we have fallen into the pattern in the last few weeks of using my hobbies of, uh, of ham radio and tropical fish as an illustration for things. So I don't want to depart from the pattern this week. We'll look at the world of tropical fish once again, and in particular at the African cichlid. Uh, there are many species of African cichlids, but they tend to be characterized by uh, the few categories of fish that actually care for their young. Most fish just eat them as soon as they're born. Uh, the cichlids take care of them. Uh, they do it, uh, some species, in this manner. They both build a nest. It's a depression in the gravel or the sand. The female lays the eggs. The male fertilizes them. The point is they're raising baby cichlids. It's the same task. It's the task that God assigned to them, isn't it? God created cichlids. He's the one who gave them uh, that task of raising baby cichlids and this, this instinct that causes them to behave in this manner. But they are equal in the doing. The, uh, the, the female fish lays the eggs. The male fish fertilizes them. And then the female hovers over the eggs 
and stirs the water up so that the eggs always have fresh water and they don't rot or grow fungus. The male patrols uh, and, and runs away any other fish that come near. And there are a lot of other things in the water that will love to eat those eggs. So he runs them away. Equal task, but both aim toward the same purpose, and that is raising baby cichlids. Some female fish are actually mouth brooders. They scoop the eggs up in their mouth, and they retain them in their mouth for two weeks or more until they hatch, and then they let them out of their mouth. But the baby, the, the fry, hang around. And if she gives a signal, they run back in her mouth if there's danger. Uh, it, is, it is fascinating to look at nature. Uh, and, I, and I have sort of done this my whole life. I love to look at nature and see the things that God put there. There are millions of things like this that you find in nature that, that, uh, that indicate to me the work of God in creation and creating these things. And I've always been fascinated by that. Even at the, uh, even before I was a Christian, I was fascinated by that. But as extraordinary as things like this are, it is no less extraordinary than the fact that God has called a people and he has given ministers and he has given them tasks and he enables them to do that. And he has given gifts to his people to build up the church. That's just as marvelous a thing as the fact that cichlids care for their young in this, in this wonderful, wonderful manner that you would never expect a fish to do. By the way, fish, uh, cichlids have uh, face recognition abilities. Uh, when Helen and I met, we were working at a radio station, and uh, we, we put an aquarium in the control room and had a black oscar, which is another species of... of uh, of cichlid, and uh, the, the Oscar recognized me and Helen because we came and talked to it and all. Uh, when anybody else came in and looked in the aquarium, he went to the furthest part of the aquarium. When Helen and I came in, especially Helen, because Helen can talk to animals. She really can. She almost shut down SeaWorld one time <laughs> because one of the porpoises swam up to her and she started talking to him, telling the porpoise about God, how God loved him. And all the other porpoises left their, their show and came over and, and were all had their noses up listening to Helen talk about how wonderful God was to them. And she has that unique ability. So Oscar would always come up and listen to Helen when she came. Um, they're wonderful fish, marvelous fish, no less marvelous than what God is doing in the church among his people. Right. Well, let me close with this verse from earlier in chapter 1. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak to shame the strong. He chose what's low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And here's the key phrase. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
God has enabled us. It is because of him that we were in that we are in Christ Jesus. It is because of him that we have the ability to perform and to exercise those gifts that he has given us. It is because of him that the ordained ministers of God are able to minister. We are all but servants. There is no reason to boast in ourselves. There is only reason to boast in God. Are we doing that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise now for uh, the wonderful instances of, of your working in nature and also the wonderful instance of your working among your people to enable us to do the task that you have called us to do. Father, help us to see this. Help us to, uh, to be willing to work with your spirit who is absolutely willing to enable us to do those things that he has called us to do. We thank you for it. We pray that you would keep this, this lesson in mind uh, as we go about our uh, life this week and in coming weeks. Uh, we pray now for those of us who have not been to worship yet that you would go before us and that you would prepare our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.